Oh, Father, we thank you. And just saying those words doesn't seem like enough, but we thank you for sending us Jesus. We thank you for the cross, the great gift that it is to us, the salvation that we now have through it. And Lord, we thank you that the story is not over at the cross, but it continues through the resurrection. And now the story continues until your son Jesus comes again. We long for that day. We pray that you would give us hope for that day. We pray, Lord, that now as we turn our eyes to your word, that these words from your scriptures would root us in the promise, the promise that you are coming again to make all things new, to bring your kingdom once and for all. We pray, Lord, that you would move in us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for reading of God's word. This morning I'll be reading from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. And leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them a light has dawned from that time jesus began to preach saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand verse 23 and he went throughout all galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. How are we to make sense of our world? How are we to understand the evil and the pain and the brokenness that we see in our world today? The Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And out of God's sovereign reign and rule, he made us human beings in his image. The Bible continues to tell us that though we were made in his image, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They did not trust him They did not believe what he said, and they rebelled against his kingship and authority. And in that moment, the kingdom of God was broken. 
Now we see this, that ever since then, we have been striving as human beings to establish our own kingdoms in pursuit of little kings and that in striving after these kingdoms, we have been rebelling against the kingdom of God and we have been destroying ourselves and our world in the process. And you don't have to believe in the Bible to see that this is true to experience the brokenness of a fallen world that is plagued by evil and sin and destruction. And it's been this way from the very beginning. Out of jealousy, Cain murdered his brother Abel. Out of pride, the people of Babel built a tower to make a name for themselves. Out of hatred, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Out of lust, King David had an affair with Bathsheba. And then he had her husband killed. Out of greed, Judas Iscariot sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Out of self-righteousness, a zealot named Saul persecuted Christians and oversaw the stoning of a martyr named Stephen. And this story has continued for generations, and it's playing out in our world even now. Crime, injustice, hatred, animosity, murder, strife, indifference, racism, division, war, and genocide, disease, hunger, addiction, homelessness, poverty. Even now we are waking up to reports of sorrow and suffering from a war that is being fought in Ukraine. We live in a broken world and perhaps in these last several years in our lifetimes, there has never been a time we've been more confronted with the brokenness of our world. The question for us is what do we do with that brokenness? How are we to make sense of it? Do you have, in the way that you understand the world, an explanation for why it is the way that it is? And more than that, do you have any hope that it's gonna get any better? You see, when we are confronted with the brokenness of our world, we are also confronted with the self-destructive fragility of the kingdoms that you and I seek to build every day. And we are, when we are brought to the end of ourselves and we see just how feeble and futile and even self-destructive these little kingdoms are, deep down in our hearts we long for a greater king. We long for a greater kingdom. And it's in this place of longing that God shows up. It was in this place of longing that God sent a prophet named Isaiah who promised that to us a child would be born. To us a son would be given. The government will be upon his shoulder and from his name he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
It was during this kind of longing, a longing for deliverance that God sent a man named John, a wild man preaching in the wilderness, preparing the way, who preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it was in this kind of longing, a longing for a Messiah, longing for rescue, longing for a savior that God sent his son, Jesus Christ. The book of Matthew tells us that when he began his ministry on earth, he went around all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. When we are confronted with the brokenness and fallenness of our world, every one of us Every one of us, whether you believe in God or not, every one of us finds ourselves wanting for rescue, searching for a savior. Even an atheist, when they're at the end of themselves, finds themselves praying and hoping that they're wrong and wanting God to come and establish his kingdom once again. This is why from the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus Christ proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was at the center of Jesus' message. Every parable he taught, every sermon he preached was about the kingdom of God. And this morning, we are beginning a new sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And what I want you to understand this morning is that the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon about the kingdom and what life is like when we submit ourselves to the kingship of Jesus Christ and give ourselves to his kingdom alone. This morning, what I want you to see is that even in the midst of brokenness, even in the midst of sin, even in the midst of evil and sorrow and suffering, and even in the midst of all of our longing, the kingdom of God is at hand. The first thing I want you to know, I want you to know that the kingdom of God is upside down. It's upside down. I want you to look with me, Matthew 4, verse 23. In order to tell the story of the Sermon on the Mount, we have to back up and look at the context. What was happening that led up to Jesus preaching the greatest sermon that has ever been preached? Well, we're told here in verse 23 that Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of, the God, of God, the gospel of the kingdom, was Jesus' primary message. And we see this right at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, right after that, and after his baptism, we see in Matthew 4, verse 17, you can look with me, it's there in your bulletin, or you can find it in the Pew Bible in front of you. Matthew 4, verse 17 From that time, Matthew tells us, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We also see this kind of language used in the very first words of the Sermon on the Mount. You'll see them at the end of our passage this morning, Matthew 5, verse 3. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
see, the Sermon on the Mount, just like everything that Jesus taught and preached, was about the kingdom of God, about the coming of the kingdom of God. And so we have to ask the question, well, what is it? What is the kingdom of God? What does it look like? How would you know if you saw it? The first thing you need to know is that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount uses the terms kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven interchangeably. We see this Matthew 5 verse 10. It's not in your bulletin. You can find it in the Bible. You can just listen. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Later in Matthew 6, verse 33 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So as Jesus is proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, he calls it the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven because these things are one and the same. That where the kingdom of God is established on earth, It is as if he was bringing the kingdom of heaven down to us by his grace, by his mercy. The second thing you need to know about the kingdom of God is that it is everywhere. The kingdom of God is not necessarily located in a place, but that the kingdom of God is found in a person. Theologian and politician, Dutch politician, Abraham Kuyper, famously put it this way. He said, there's not a square inch and the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. In other words, the kingdom of God is not found in a place, but in a person. And wherever the person of Jesus Christ reigns and rules on the throne, there the kingdom of God exists. And so you ask, well, then why don't we see our world getting better. We'll talk more about that in just a second. For now, I want you to know that where the kingdom of God reigns, it transforms everything. That where God is on his throne, it turns everything upside down. And the clearest place that we see this in all of Jesus' teaching, perhaps, is the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is exhaustive. It covers all of life. It spans three whole chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7. So often when we think of the Sermon on the Mount, we typically just think of the Beatitudes, but it goes well beyond the Beatitudes. And it covers every part of life as Jesus is applying the kingdom of God to what it would look like for us as if we would live in the midst of his kingdom. And so Jesus talks about righteousness and persecution, bearing witness, evangelism, obedience, anger, reconciliation, lust, divorce, honesty, forgiveness, loving your enemies, giving to the poor, prayer, fasting, money, anxiety, and warring, judging others, seeking the Lord, treating others as you want to be treated, bearing fruit, knowing God, and what it really looks like to follow Jesus. All of this is covered in the Sermon on the Mount, and so it's no wonder that biblical scholars often refer to the Sermon on the Mount as the moral teaching of Jesus. But as we get into the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to know that the Sermon on the Mount is far more than moral teaching. This goes well beyond just ethics for the sake of ethics. 
It's not just a list of rules of how we are supposed to live. But instead, the Sermon on the Mount paints a picture and gives us a vision of what life would look like if we actually submitted ourselves to the kingship of Jesus Christ. The Sermon on the Mount is a picture of what life would really be like if we lived in the kingdom of God. You and I, we we live by a set of norms, by a set of rules. And there are such things as universal rules that we see all over the world, and we see lots of rules that are unique to particular places and countries, even cities, even families. And a question I want you to wrestle with this morning is, why do you live by those rules? Why do you live by those norms? And more importantly, where do those rules come from? You see, you and I live according to a set of values, a a, a set of rules and norms because we think that if we are obedient to those things, it will lead us to happiness. It will lead us to what is often called the good life. And every one of us has a vision of what we think the good life looks like. The good life is that thing that we're all pursuing in the back of our minds, that if we could just get there, then everything would be right again. So for some of you, the good life looks like success. It looks like maybe even a particular house on a particular street. The good life looks like sometimes leisure and the ability to be able to go to the places you want to, always chasing that next high of the next vacation. For some of you, the good life is not in a place, but it's, it's people, it's family. To have a spouse and children and a, and a large family. Oftentimes, our vision of the good life isn't necessarily sinful things. It truly is good things, and we live according to these norms in pursuit of the good life. But what Jesus is showing us in the Sermon on the Mount is that the kingdom of God turns all of those values upside down. The Sermon on the Mount is giving us not a vision of the good life, it's giving us a vision of the kingdom life, where true flourishing, true abundance is found. That in a world where marriage is so fragile and we're so prone to give up on it, Jesus says, you're called not to divorce, but to stay together. That that's where abundance is. To press into the hardness of marriage and the most difficult parts of human relationships and find reconciliation. That in a world that is totally bent out on anger, so quick to point the finger at the other person, so quick to blame everything on someone else rather than ourselves, Jesus points out that we're called not to be angry and not to hatred, but to love our enemies, to treat others as we wish we would be treated. Over and over and over again, what we see is that the Sermon Out turns everything in our world upside down, or perhaps better, it actually turns our upside down world right again, the way that God always intended 
This is the vision of the Sermon on the Mount. This is what it's like in the kingdom of God. The second thing I want you to know is that the kingdom of God is good news. It doesn't just turn things upside down, but it is good news. Look at with me verse 23 again. Notice what it says, that Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. Now, the word gospel is the word euangelion. It literally means good news. The word gospel means good news. In other words, Jesus was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So why is the kingdom of God, this thing that turns everything upside down, this thing that changes everything, why is that good news? Well, the first thing you have to know is it really is for our good. That we, deep down, every one of us, whether you believe in God or not, you are desperate for what the kingdom of God brings. Because the kingdom of God brings healing and restoration and redemption. We see this in verse 23. As Jesus is proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, Matthew goes on and tells us that he was healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So as Jesus is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, we are actually also seeing the good news of the kingdom play out. That the sick are healed. That the afflicted are made whole. That people are being restored. Matthew continues in verse 24 and tells us that the fame of Jesus now spreads. It began in the synagogues where Jesus was preaching and teaching, but it spilled out into the countryside and went to the common person. People were telling each other of this man, Jesus, who not only spoke of the kingdom of God, but was seeing it enacted in their midst. So his fame, Matthew tells us, verse 24, spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him the sick. Now not just the sick are coming to him, people were bringing others who are sick to him. They not only wanted healing for themselves, but they trusted that this man, Jesus, whoever he was, could heal their friends. So they're bringing those afflicted, Matthew tells us, with very diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralytics, and he healed them. The kingdom of God brings healing. It brings restoration. It's the the setting of rights to all that is wrong in our broken world. The word that the Bible uses is the word shalom. It's justice where there is none to be found. It's reconciliation where there is incredible division. It's healing where there is disease. It's redemption where there is sin. As Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God, he was also bringing the kingdom of God with him. Healing people, restoring people. This is why the gospel of the kingdom is such good news. To understand that it is good news is to understand that there is nothing that you and I can do to establish the kingdom on our own. This morning, if you want justice, if you want healing, if you want forgiveness of sins, if you want the wrong things in our world to be made right again, there is nothing that any of us in this sanctuary can do on our own to bring those things to pass. 
and we will strive and we will work and we will do everything that we can to do those in our own way and we will be exhausted. But to hear that the kingdom of God is good news tells us that when Jesus proclaimed the kingdom, it wasn't just an exhortation, it was an announcement. He was proclaiming that the kingdom of God is here. It's now. It's being established. For the kingdom of God to be good news, for it to be the gospel, says that this is an announcement that all of us should proclaim that justice has come, that healing is here, that forgiveness can be found because the king has come. So the third and final thing that I want you to know, I want you to know that the kingdom of God is near. Last week I had a conversation with a friend of mine and maybe it looks like a conversation you've been having over these last several weeks, these last several months and probably over these last several years. The conversation went like this. He asked me if God is sovereign, if he really is the king and he can do all things, that he holds all things, and if that's true and he's also good, then why doesn't God just put an end to all of it? Why doesn't he just put an end to all of this evil and all of this brokenness and all of this suffering and all of the sorrow? If God is good and he is sovereign and he is the king, why doesn't he just end it all right now? Maybe it's a conversation that you've had, question that you've asked I'll be honest with you, it's a conversation that I have with myself. <laughs> what do we do with that question? A question that we have been confronted with in so many ways over these last couple years. I believe Jesus answers that question as he began to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Again, I want you to look with me, Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what does that mean? Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is near, that it's come, it's not far. And yet, just like the people who lived 2,000 years ago and heard Jesus preach this, we live in a world where it seems that his kingdom is very far away. And yet Jesus says, it's not far. It's at hand. Well, how can he say that? Because we, just like them, are now living in between two advents, two arrivals of the king. Jesus said that 2,000 years ago because the kingdom of heaven had come in a person. It was at hand and it was near because the king was standing right before them. It was as near as Jesus was near to them. And you and I, we are now living in between that coming and the day when he comes again. And so the kingdom of God is near. There's still a sense of it's not yet fully realized. It's near, but it seems so far away. And so what do we do with that? Well, the answer to that question either leads us to great hope or despair. 
And what I love about Jesus beginning to preach the kingdom of heaven is that Matthew tells us in the verse before that in Jesus proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, it was a fulfillment of a promise that the prophet Isaiah made. I want you to look with me at verse 16. Matthew here is quoting the prophet Isaiah, and this is what he says. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. For the kingdom of God to be near in the person and work of Jesus Christ is to see that even in the midst of every darkness, the kingdom of God has been dawning. And we've seen it from the very beginning. That even when Adam and Eve sinned and brokenness entered the world, God made a promise. A promise to send a king who would crush the head of the serpent. A king whose blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel's. A king who doesn't ask us to build our own kingdoms and our own towers to make our way to him, but a king who's come down to us, who is our strong and mighty tower. A king who gave himself to us and took on the slavery of our sin so that we could have freedom. A king who willingly chose Judas Iscariot to be one of his disciples, knowing that Judas would betray him so that he could go to the cross. A king who established his kingdom and was crowned, not high on a throne and not with a sword on his fist, but he was crowned with a crown of thorns. And he died on a cross for you and me so that all who trust in his name would have salvation so that the kingdom of God would be established. A king who appeared to a zealot named Saul on the road to Damascus and converted a persecutor of Christians and transformed him into the greatest missionary the world's ever known. A king who the Bible promises one day will come again to make all things new. When he ushers his kingdom once and for all, until that day comes, how are we to make sense of this world? Jesus gives us the answer in the Sermon on the Mount. It's his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. There in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us to pray these words. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Until Jesus the King comes again, how are we to live? We are to live as his people, submitting to the kingship and authority of Jesus and bringing, ushering, extending the kingdom to our broken world. That is why the mission statement of Park City's Presbyterian Church is to extend the transforming presence of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ to Dallas and to the world. What that means for us is our job now as followers of Jesus Christ and participants in his church is to usher in the kingdom 
to live out the kingdom in every aspect of our life and to proclaim the kingdom, the good news that the kingdom has come through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's to pray that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. See, that's as much of a prayer as it is a promise. And so as we now enter into this series on the Sermon on the Mount, may that be our prayer as a church, that his kingdom would come to earth as it is in heaven, that his kingdom would come to Ukraine as it is in heaven, that his kingdom would come to Russia as it is in heaven, that his kingdom would come to the United States as it is in heaven, that his kingdom would come to Dallas as it is in heaven, that his kingdom would come to our neighborhoods as it is in heaven, that the kingdom would come to our streets as it is in heaven, that the kingdom would come to every family and every relationship and every office space, that his kingdom would come to every grief and every sorrow and every sin, to every injustice, that his kingdom would come to every heart as it is in heaven. Jesus began his ministry by saying, repeat, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he climbed up onto a mountain and preached a sermon to show us what that might look like. May his kingdom come now to earth as it is in heaven until he comes again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you give us eyes to see your kingdom now? And we confess that it's so easy to see the kingdom of darkness and the kingdoms of this world. And so we pray that you would give us eyes to see the ways that you are breaking through. The way that even in the midst of darkness, dawn is coming. Help us to see that in the ordinary places of life, in our worries and our fears, in our grief and sorrow, the ordinary places of relationships, the ways that we are so prone to anger and lust, the way that we think the, the good life was found in the here and now and in our worldly pursuits, Lord, in the way that you would turn all of these things upside down, give us a greater vision what the kingdom of God might look like in our midst for our church in this season for such a time as this. And may we be your ambassadors now, princes and princesses in the kingdom of God, called to submit ourselves to your kingship and to extend your kingdom to Dallas and to the ends of the earth. We pray, would you help us to do this, to see it and to live it out in Jesus' name, amen.